The Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke will be uh, beginning in um, verse 26. This morning, um, as we pray and prepare for our time of studying, we want to again I think we've kind of made it through uh, the, the, the um, bulk of all of our churches in our community at least once. We prayed for the E-Free Church many, many months ago. Um, so we want to pray for them again this morning. Also, I want to uh, give special attention to our, our missionaries this morning as we pray. Um, we have uh, missionaries um, all over you, the world, some here in the United States. And so um, we want to lift them up in prayer for God to meet their needs as well. So will you bow your heads as we pray? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time, Lord, where we can sing song to worship you, to give you praise, to give you thanks, honor, and glory for who you are, for what you've done for us, for what you have yet promised um, to fulfill, or to the fulfillment of the promises that you've made to us that are yet to come. God, we look forward um, with hopeful expectation to receiving uh, the gift of eternal life that you have set forth before us and when that trumpet does sound and when you descend and take us to be with you God what a glorious day that's going to be and Lord if you choose to do that today we're ready Lord but we know that there are many who we love who you love um, um, who have yet not chosen you and so we pray for them this morning Lord Uh, some of us have sons and daughters Moms and dads and other extended family members, neighbors, co-workers. God, those people who are dear to our heart, who you've placed in our heart and given us your heart for them. And so we lift them up and pray for their salvation this morning, Lord. We pray that the, the disappointments of this life, the hurts of their own sin and consequences as a result of it, that the condemnation and the guilt that the enemy throws their way, Lord, would be washed away so that they could see you, God, and that the Holy Spirit would convict them and that they would draw near to you and be saved, Father. We also pray, God, for um, our brothers and sisters at E-Free Church, for Pastor Jim, um, for the rest of the leadership there. Uh, We give you thanks for their um, faithfulness to you, for their willingness, God, to tell others about you. Lord, that they have stood firm all these years here in Canyon City as a light and a beacon of truth and hope to those in this community, God, who, who, who do not know you. And Lord, there are so many people who have been saved through that ministry of, of E-Free Church and Pastor Jim. So we ask, God, that you would bless them this morning, that you bless their service times as they gather together in, in your name, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen that church, provide for that church, and grow that church up, Lord. We love people there, and we know you love them too. We also lift up our missionaries to you. And Father, we know um, that there, it's, it's often a lonely um, call to be a missionary in a foreign country. Maybe we don't know, maybe we can only imagine what that would be like. But Lord, we've had them come and share here and uh, speak of the needs and um, not just the, the physical needs, but the emotional and spiritual needs that they have and how they're out there in the midst of this spiritual battle fighting the good fight. So we pray, God, that you would give them encouragement today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to reach out to them in ways where they feel loved and encouraged, that they know that we at Living Stone Calvary Chapel love them, are praying for them, 
and are partnering for them. Lord, I think of Marie Shockey in Mexico who had surgery on her foot this last week, had those pins put in there. Lord, we pray for her speedy healing. We know that she's going to be out for three weeks. And we pray that her husband, Nolan, would serve her and, and help to care for her. And Lord, that she would feel loved. Um, the rest of the needs, Lord, we lift up to you. And for our time that we have studying your word as we continue through the gospel of Luke, this orderly account that Luke is given, we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. Lord, as even as the, the song that we sing about, about you being our king, we pray that the words that you'd speak to us this morning, God, would be um, marching orders that we would receive and welcome so that we could um, be more like you and be about your kingdom and not our own. Father, we love you. We rely upon you. And we need you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you weren't here last week, you'll know that we began the Gospel of Luke. I gave an introduction to the Gospel, and we made it through the first 25 verses. Um, and in, in the first 25 verses, we read about Luke begins to tell us about the angel Gabriel, right, who came and appeared to a priest by the name of Zacharias. And Luke began this account by telling us that all these events began at a specific time. And he doesn't necessarily give us a date, um, but he gives us two, his, two um, things in history that, that are accounted for that we can look at and, and make some conclusions. So um, first thing he tells us is that these things took place when Herod was king over Judea and when um, Zacharias had been chosen uh, to offer up the daily sacrifice of incense. And one of the things I spoke about last week is that at this particular time, Josephus writes and says that there's nearly 20,000 priests who were of the right order and were eligible to serve in the temple and to make one of these sacrifices. Uh, high priests had a specific job. Um, the other priests had daily jobs both outside of the tent of meeting and inside the, the tent of meeting, whether it was, it was the showbread or burning the altar, uh, burning the incense on the altar. We went through all of that when we were studying through uh, the book of um, Exodus, and I don't want to go back over that. But nevertheless, this was at this point such a significant thing that it would have been historically accounted, and it, and it has been, as a matter of fact. And, and I point that out because with these two events, with knowing that Herod was king over, over Judea and the time when the lot was drawn for Zacharias, who was of the division of Abijah, to be chosen to offer up the daily sacrifice of incense. And when you take those two historical accounts, you see that there's an intersection that takes place. Okay, King Herod and Zacharias. And, and with that intersection, there's an X in history that marks a specific month and a specific year for when these things occurred. And I love that because history is like that, right? History accounts dates and times and people and places, and, and there is no greater book of history in regards to um, its accuracy in, in, in telling the accounts of people and places and things and dates and times than the Bible. No greater. And, and I love that about the Bible because this is God's word and this is what I build my faith upon. And it's reliable and it's trustworthy. And when you dig into it, you, you find that out over and over and over again. And so with this X, these two events taking place that intersect in, in, in history, 
a specific month and a specific year for when these things occurred. And I, I did a lot more research into that this week than I had done previously. And, and I'll just say this, men much smarter than me, okay? <laughs> men much smarter than me who have done hours of historical research, take these two, two accounts that have been historically um, recorded in other documents, in other writings, in other archaeological finds. They point us to the week of October um, the, it's actually the first week of October, because we know that, that, that each priest served for a week, somewhere between, depending upon when Zacharias, the exact day that Zacharias got to go into the tabernacle to um, light uh, the, the incense or to burn the incense. We don't know the exact day, but we know the week that he served. And it was October, the, between the 3rd and the 10th, those seven days, in the year 6 B.C., um, as, and, and with that, we go, this is the date that Luke is referring to. Now, there's, a, there's an article that I'll point you to if, you, if you're interested in that kind of stuff. It's um, written by Kenneth Frank Doig, D-O-I-G, and um, it's, it's called The Exact Dating of the Birth and the Crucifixion of Jesus, which, by the way, is going to let you know it makes a very convincing argument for December 25th as the actual date of Jesus' birth. Now, I'm not going to, that's not, that's, that's extra biblical. It's not unbiblical. It's just an extra biblical statement at this point. You can go and dig into that for yourself, but, and come up with your own conclusions. But see, guys, God, God wants us to know these things. It's just not random thoughts or statements that are being put out for us to go, well, I hope that's true. God makes these statements. Luke is recording them. And he says, without, beyond a shadow of doubt, we can know. We can look. We can find these things out true. Nevertheless, we know that while Zacharias was offering the daily sacrifices of incense, the whole multitude of people were told they were outside praying. Those who had gathered, whether it was in the morning or the evening, we, we still don't know that. The sacrifice for the, the burning of the incense was twice a day. But the people, as was the custom, were outside praying. And we know that at this time, as, as always was the case of Israel, they're praying for the Messiah, right? The long-awaited-for Messiah, the Christ, the Redeemer, the one who would set them free. And at that moment, while Zacharias was offering the daily sacrifice of incense, and while the people were outside praying, we're told that a miraculous thing had happened. That's what Luke tells us, is the angel Gabriel appeared on the right side of the altar, Someone mentioned this in our men's group. They said they spoke about it in their home group. You know, why would we be told that on the right side of the altar? Again, it's a, it's a, it's a detail. And when you have all these little details, it speaks to the validity of what we're being told. Where did Zacharias appear? If you saw, if you saw angel Gabriel, where was he at? Well, he was on the right side of the altar of incense. You know, these are, these are things that um, are details that people look for even in the court systems when they're, they're looking for good, credible witnesses. They can give accurate accounts. And so we see that on the right side of the altar and, and, and what he told him when he appeared to Zacharias is that he said, quote unquote, your prayer has been heard. Prayers heard. Then Gabriel went on to tell Zacharias that God was ready to send the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, and that his wife Elizabeth, who had been barren and was now beyond childbearing years, would give birth to a son. Now in doing so, um, the Gabriel was, 
was telling Zacharias ultimately that his son would be a sign, okay? A son would be a sign to him that what he, Gabriel, had just told Zacharias was true. Evidence, proof. Hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. And, and proof to you is your, your wife, who is barren, and beyond childbearing years, she's going to miraculously conceive and give birth to a son. And that miracle son, who, who would be named John, because we know that Gabriel told them even what to name him, that this, 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 this son of his would play an important part in God's plan, as John would be the one who would go before the Redeemer, before the Messiah, before the Savior, the long-awaited Redeemer, and he would go forward in the spirit, in the power of Elijah, to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Now, in spite of this, this, this um, angelic encounter, Zacharias, who is a man like, I think, all of us at times when we're um, confronted with such wonderful things that God promises to us, um, he did not receive what the angel Gabriel had spoken with complete belief. He had doubts. And he questioned the good news that the angel had spoken to him. And in his belief, he asked, how could this be since he and his wife were both advanced in these years and too old to have kids? Sadly, we know that as a result of Zacharias's unbelief, he was made mute. And when he came out from the holy place, from the tent of meeting, he was unable to communicate this wonderful long-awaited message from what from, from that he had received from God that was to all of the people, the very thing that the priest was supposed to be doing, ministering for God or for, ministering for God and, and being that advocate for the people. And God had given him a message, and it was the ultimate message. It's time. Your prayer has been heard, and he could not communicate that message to the people. He could not tell what God had told him or what he had seen. Yeah, we know that in spite of Zacharias' unbelief, God did what he said he was going to do. And Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And as we continue to now, in verse 26, to read this orderly account that Luke had written to Theophilus, what we do is, is we now fast forward six months. The text continues, but six months, we're told, has passed from the time that Elizabeth had conceived to when the angel Gabriel had been sent again by God. So, um, but this time, the Gabriel was sent um, to a young woman, a young woman who lived in Nazareth, um, located in the region of Galilee. So in verse 26, we read, and it says, <coughs> pardon me, it says, in the sixth month, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And if you notice there, in, if your translation is 
correct, the word Jesus is all in capital letters, and it's a title that's being referred to there. And in verse 32, the angel said, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. So once again, um, the same sign for Zacharias for what God had spoken um, to, to give an affirmation to the promise is, is also revealed to, to Mary here. And that was the reason for why um, Luke at this point, if you remember, we're told about um, uh, Zacharias' wife Elizabeth is that she concealed the fact that she was pregnant. Nevertheless, the angel told Mary here and once again pointed out that it was in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And, and even though family still communicated, there's a distance between where they were at and um, no FaceTime, no uh, Facebook, no cell phones. So communicating uh, was, was a challenge. So we could understand why Mary um, would have been kept in the dark even though Elizabeth had hidden this. But here's the greatest Here's the greatest um, encouragement to Mary and the, and the greatest thing as the angel Gabriel um, took her eyes off of the circumstances, which sometimes can be affirmations for us, also discouragements for us. But she, he put her eyes on God and he said to her in verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Amen? Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Amen. All right, guys. City of Nazareth, where the angel Gabriel was sent by God, it, it means watchtower. It's interesting. And even though there's some spiritual significance to that, I think, um, and I don't want to over-spiritualize anything this morning, but um, literally that name, watchtower or Nazareth, it has more to do with its location um, the name kind of describes um, its geographical location because the city of Nazareth, specifically the village of Nazareth, is which we're talking about here now in, in regards to the text, is in the southern ridges of the limestone hills of the Lebanon mountain range, um, which is about 14 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. And <clears throat> Nazareth, which is known by us from the Bible as the childhood home of Jesus, is currently the largest city in the northern district of Israel today. And it has, uh, as of censuses in 2017, it has a population of about 76,500 people, the, the, the city or area of Nazareth now. But at the time of Jesus's birth, it was a much smaller town. And for years, we did not know a lot about it. But with archaeological digs of this village of Nazareth, it's estimated to only have been about 2,000 people, a very small, small village. An interesting thing about this village is that it's not mentioned anywhere in the um, uh, Old Testament. 
By name, it's not mentioned. It's mentioned nowhere in the Apocrypha, nowhere in the Talmud, or even by Jewish historians like Josephus. And because of this, um, and also because there had been for many years no archaeological evidence to um, validate the existence of this ancient village of Nazareth, spoken of here by Luke, that many critics of our Christian faith believed that they had the evidence to challenge the validity of Christianity. After all, if it was the childhood home of Jesus Christ, uh, mentioned here in the Bible in such a significant way, um, that the, the, the existence of that city all those years ago would be important. Because if it did not exist, there would be a huge if it was not ever really a place, there would be a huge gap, right? And you would have to exercise some blind faith, which God never desires for us to do. And I point that all out because um, there has recently been archaeological evidence um, brought forth um, to validate what we read here. And, and the first discovery wasn't, was only as far back as 1962, which is pretty cool. Because in 1962, what they found uh, was a Hebrew inscription that had been excavated out of the city, the ancient city of Caesarea, which spoke of, and I mentioned this last week, the 24 divisions of the Levitical priests and how they all immigrated to the village of Nazareth in 135 AD. It's pretty cool. There's other archaeological evidence that has been discovered since then, the, the village of Nazareth, the old village of Nazareth has been excavated uh, along with an ancient vineyard that is there, and, and that, that, that excavation of that really depicts the life of Christ um, as, as it would have been taking place at that time. So if you ever get to go to Israel, go visit that village of Nazareth in the region of, of, of in, the, in the bigger city of Nazareth. Now, when the angel Gabriel visited and told, and just so, just so you know, I spend the time speaking about these kinds of things because they're things that build up our faith, that they encourage us to go, what we read here really took place. It really happened. And God has made these proofs available to us. So when the angel Gabriel visited and told Mary in verse 31, if you'll look there, it says that she would conceive and become the, basically the mother of the Messiah. Um, we, we guess, estimate guesstimate that Mary was probably around the age of 16 since it was the typical age that Jewish girls would be married at this time. And in verse 27, it tells us that Mary was betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph, and a very important fact here that she was a virgin. And at the time, at this time, especially in the Jewish culture, a betrothal, um, it, it, it was more than just getting engaged like what we might do today. It had a, a much weightier um, meaning behind it. Um, um, and and, and it's practically the same as marriage, even though uh, the couples didn't live together and, and they were not intimate together. Um, they were betrothed, and it was a very, uh, a very weighty thing. And in fact, in, in, in breaking a betrothal, it was much like getting a divorce, because it was such a significant thing. And as you might imagine, the fact that Mary had become pregnant was initially a big problem for Joseph. Put yourself in his shoes, right? 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, we're told that when Joseph found out, he didn't believe. Probably any one of us guys would be the same thing. Your wife or your future wife who you're engaged to comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, and you guys haven't been intimate. And she says, and by the way, um, I've conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You might not, you might not believe her either. And um, however, what we know about Joseph is he did not expose Mary's situation. Rather, we're told in the Gospel of Matthew that he decided, it says, it says to put her away secretly. And that can sound like a, wow, what a jerk. But um, that was actually a very kind thing to do on Joseph's part. Because what he was really doing is, is trying to, to protect Mary through the situation. Because if he had exposed it and claimed that Mary had been unfaithful, then she, according to the law, because she was betrothed to another man, she could have been put to death, stoned. But we know that before Joseph could even put Mary away secretly, that God sent an angel to him. And um, to confirm what Mary had said, and he, of course, being a faithful man, a good man, a righteous man, a godly man, it says that he took Mary as his wife. And it says that he did not know her as, as a wife until after Christ was born. Nevertheless, Mary, here's the thing about it, nevertheless, what we see is that Mary's integrity, Mary's purity, and even her faithfulness to her fiancé were challenged. This young 16-year-old girl. But this was only the first of many challenges that Mary would face as a result of, as the scripture says, being the highly favored one. Highly favored by God, like verse 28 says, that Mary was. And, and in your mind, that, that, that can kind of, at least in my mind, it's like, oh, that just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. But nevertheless, Mary's life is a good reminder that just because we're living in obedience to God's will does not mean that our lives will be without hardship, right? That's what Mary's life examples to us. She was faithful. She believed God. And, and yet... Um, she had hardship from the very beginning, being God's highly favored one. But in the angel Gabriel's meet and greeting, if you see this to Mary, um, he, he, he went on in verse 28 to say this, that the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And I point this out to remind us, guys, that God's favor, listen to this, Hear what God said. She's the highly favored one and she's blessed among women. The Lord is with you. And I point these two things out to remind us that God's favor and God's blessing, which we're reading about here, is really defined by one word. God's grace, right? God's favor and God's blessing, that's God's grace. And although Mary was a godly man, we're told, or a godly woman, we're told that, it's important for us to understand that, that it was God's grace, God's favor, God's blessing, not Mary's character that moved God to choose her. And the very same thing can be said of all of us in that, as you guys know this, but God didn't choose us um, for his flavor, for his favor, and for his blessing, because we deserved it. 
We're not highly favored because we have all these awesome skills and talents and gifts and, you know, and, and it's like God's all, yeah, that guy's got it. He's mine. You know, that's, that's not, that wasn't it. And God doesn't pour his blessings on us because um, we deserve them. It's grace. We're highly favored and we're blessed because God is gracious. God is gracious. And according to his unmerited favor and love for us is the reason why he, he has chosen us for, for any of his blessings. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It says that, and it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, one very important thing that needs to be pointed about, uh, out about Mary is, is even though verse 29, guys, look there, even though verse 29 tells us that Mary was troubled in the manner or by the manner of, of, of Gabriel's greeting, you know what, she, unlike Zacharias, clearly believed the message that the angel brought about conceiving a son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but that would take a pretty big measure of faith, trusting in God. Furthermore, she believed that God would do all that he had promised in regards to his son, her son, in, in specifically in, in, in who this son would be and what this son would do, which was equally amazing, right? Okay, Mary, you're going to conceive... It's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Son. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Redeemer of the world. And, and he's going to be the Son of God. She believed. And it says, upon hearing this amazing new, and after being encouraged, it says in verse 37, with the reminder that, that, God would, that, with, that, that with God nothing will be impossible, we see that Mary in verse 38 proclaimed that she was the Lord's maidservant. You can look ahead. She says, I'm your servant. And she welcomed God's will for her life. And once again, Mary gives us an example. She gives us an example for the way, uh, 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 the way that we as followers of Jesus should live our lives. Right? I mean, this is it's all right there. The way that we should live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. In that, guys, I was thinking about this as, as we were singing this song this morning, praising God. You are my king. You are my king. You are my king. And if, if Jesus is my king, then I should live my life for him. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, I should live my life for you. I should do what you ask. And the same is true here, example by Mary, in that if we say that Jesus is our Lord, then as his servant, it should be, here's the cool thing, it should be our pleasure to do his will. Is it your pleasure to do God's will? Pleasure. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in the book of Romans, right? He said in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies 
of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. And clearly, guys, clearly it was Mary's reasonable service in her mind from her point of view, from her perspective. Clearly it was her reasonable service to offer up her body in a very literal way as a living sacrifice to God, to his perfect will. And, and based upon God's word spoken through the angel Gabriel in verse 39, if you look there, we see that Mary was also, and here's what I love about all this, is she, she received these things. She, she accepted these things. She was willing for these things. But then she also took her faith and she put it into action. Faith in actions. It's one thing to sit here this morning and say, you're my king. I want to do your will and to go out from these doors and to have no action behind our faith. And Mary put her faith into action when she went to go see her relative Elizabeth, who was also pregnant, just like Angel Gabriel had said. And in verse 39, it says, Now Mary arose in, the days, in those days, and she went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed... As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be, there will be a fulfillment of those things which the Lord told her, or which were told to her from the Lord. It says, then Mary, and Mary said in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And of course, all of these things that Mary's speaking about here is, is directly connected to the fulfillment of the Messiah. Through him, these things and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now, when Mary arrived and greeted Elizabeth, we, we read that wonderful things began to happen. First, Elizabeth gave praise to God for what he had done for Mary. And then the unborn baby um, in her womb, who would be known by us as John the Baptist, leaped for joy in his mother's womb. 
But notice that Elizabeth called Mary in verse 43, the mother of my Lord, which um, was given to her under the inspiration of the, the, the Holy Spirit. But it, 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 it's also an accurate and proper title, is it not? It is. It's an accurate and proper title. But notice there is in this statement, there is no, in no way did Elizabeth give any glory um, that God alone deserved to Mary. She wasn't exalting Mary. She wasn't praising Mary. And this is important for us to take note of because there, there are religions that cross this line by glorifying or worshiping Mary for something that, sh- that, that God had done. In doing so, they wrongly elevate Mary to a place, to, to literally to the place that, that God alone is, deserves, and, and to a place that no other being no other human being should ever be elevated to. And, and I point that out more, not, not to, to, to speak ill of any other religion, but just to illustrate the point because this, this, this can and does happen even within the evangelical community today that we're a part of. And a good example of this is with this, this sickening celebrity status and treatment that is given and sometimes even expected by those who, who pastor um, mega churches and even preach on TV. And not all of them, not all of them. I'm not trying to blanket the whole thing, but the point is, is, is we, can, we can, guys, we can and we should celebrate and honor another person's faith. We should. We should celebrate and honor another person's faith and, and the work that God does in, in, in and through them, but we should never give them the glory and the worship that God alone deserves is God who does the work in them and through them, in us and through us. And in, in, in all that Elizabeth spoke and did for Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, she rightly celebrated the faith of Mary. And in verse 45, declaring by declaring that the things which God had told her would come to pass, Elizabeth then demonstrated how, get this, and this is why we, we, we acknowledge other people's faith. Because Elizabeth, when she proclaimed this, when she declared these things which God had told her would come to pass, Elizabeth then, we see her ultimately demonstrating how her own faith in what God had said to her was strengthened by Mary's faith that was being now lived out in front of her. The point is, is when we do what God has said, guys, when we do what God has said, when we say, you're my king, I'm your servant, you're my Lord, I will do what you say, and we put our faith into action. When we, when we do what God has said, and then we live our lives in accordance to, to our faith, walking by faith, there then is the opportunity to strengthen the faith of others around us. And many times I have seen someone completely trust in what God has said to them and to do what God has told them, even at the risk of looking stupid in the eyes of the world for doing it, or at the risk of losing very much in this life. I've seen that. I've witnessed that with others around me as they stepped out in faith. Yet through their belief, through their faith in God, through that step of faith, you know what? I was able to see the promises of God to come to pass. And it was an incredible strengthening to my own faith as God proved to me through them that he was reliable and that he was trustworthy. 
in turn, the result of this is praise. When we walk by faith, when we live by faith, and God fulfills his promises in and through us, and it's manifested to the world around us, the result is praise. Praise of God. And in verses 46 through 55, this is exactly what Mary does. What is she doing here? She's praising God. This passage of scripture is referred to as, as Mary's song or, or the magnificent. And it, and it came from the Latin word, it comes from the Latin word um, mea, which means to magnify. And it's named this because Mary's words magnify God. That's what praise does. Think about that. When you take a magnifying glass and you put it on something, what happens to it? It expands. It gets bigger. It's, it's made, you see it in a different light, in a larger light. You see more details. You see things that you may have not seen before, noticed before. And that's what praise does, is it magnifies God to the world around us so that they may know him, so that they may see him. And in Mary's song, she gives praise to God. And I'm just going to summarize it quickly. She gives praise to God, and she tells of eight things that God has done. I'll categorize them for us into three specific categories. You can, you can break it down and, and see on your own time, what are these eight things? What are these eight things that Mary magnifies for us so that we may see and know God more? Where God's then enlarged or enlightened or expanded before our own eyes. And the first thing that she does is she praises God. She, she, she specifically tells of God's gracious and of God's merciful things that he did for her in verses 46 through 49. It's personal. Isn't it always first personal? You know, it's one thing to tell of somebody, but it's another thing to tell somebody of what someone has done for you, of what that person has done for you. And it's not just our job to tell people about Jesus Christ. Our job is to tell people about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And she tells about the gracious and the merciful things that God did for her first and foremost. And then she, she goes on and she tells about the gracious and the merciful things that God does for all of those who fear for him in verses 50 through 53. You see that? Because when we begin to tell people about what God has done for us, who he is and what he's done for us, you know what people want to know next? What can your God do for me? What gracious and merciful things will he have to do with me or for me? It's like, God done this for me. He can do this for you. He wants to do this for you. And then the, he, she goes on. And lastly, in verses 54 and 55, she tells about the gracious and merciful things that God had done for his people Israel. And, and again, it's in fulfillment to this prophecy in that God's a promise keeper. And God had made all these promises to his people all the way back as far as to Abraham saying, and even before that, 
back to the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve first sinned, God said, I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to redeem that. And he made promises to his people over and over and over again. And in this time, Mary says, God is a promise keeper. He's gracious and merciful, and this is what he's done for us. And I suspect that we, guys, I want to end with this. I'd like to go a lot more. I wish we did three-hour Bible studies, and then if I just ended at like two hours, you'd be like, yes, we're getting out an hour early. (laughs) Worship team wants to come up. I suspect that... um, I guess, let me, in light of this, in light of all this, I I wonder, I wonder if the praise of God is something that we do enough. What do you think? Is it something that we do enough? Do we magnify God to those around us? I wonder if the praise of God is something that we do enough. And I don't think so. And I suspect that we don't because we as human beings at least me as a human being, I tend to make praise, my praise of God, a conditional thing. I make it a conditional thing, meaning um, we, I, I don't think we rejoice and give God the praise that he deserves, or we only give, we only rejoice and we only give praise to God when we feel like it, or when things are going the way that we want, right? Amen! You know, I feel like praising the Lord. Something good has happened. Something, you know, it's, it's so fickle in relationship to conditions of, related to the way I feel or maybe to the circumstances in my life. Yet what we see, this is not what Mary examples. This is not what Mary examples, nor is it how the Bible instructs us. And the truth of the matter is our praise of God It needs to be continual, the Bible says, to continually praise him in spite of how we feel or even when our circumstances are not what we want them to be. And this is because the the true praise of God, it's a responsive thing. It's a responsive action that comes from knowing God. It comes from knowing that He is a good God. It comes from knowing that He never changes even though my feelings and my circumstances do change. And when we understand this, we will praise God for who He is. We will praise Him for, for, for what He has done for us and we will praise Him for all that He has promised to do for us. Two passages of scripture to end with this morning. You guys stand. I want to read these and then we'll worship together. I want to remind you that um, there will be people up front who want to pray with you this morning. And prayer can be a, a, a vehicle for praise as well. So maybe it's just coming up and praying and, and praising the Lord together. Listen, it says, therefore, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, therefore, by him, let us continually to offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Psalm 150 says, pretty much, it sums it up really for us saying this. Um, When should you praise the Lord? It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. 
Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and fruits, flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank You, God, that you are a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, that you're greater than our circumstances. Lord, that even when our feelings change, you remain the same. That your love for us never fails. That your grace is more than we need. Father, that you have good intentions, good future, a good plan for our lives. And Lord, as we look at the life of Mary and the hardships that she faced, and yet her willingness to, to praise you for who you are, for what you did for her, for what you had promised, I pray, God, that we would be the same way as we go forward from this place, singing, you are our king, and we praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.